Welcome to this, the first in our series of podcasts from the Targeted Temperature Management or TTM Academy. My name is Dr. Benjamin Abella. I'm the director of the Center for Resuscitation Science at the University of Pennsylvania. And I have been deeply involved in cardiac arrest care and post-arrest care for the past 15 years. At the University of Pennsylvania, I helped start our first post-arrest care program and I'm very involved in it to this day. And I spend much of my time uh, traveling and lecturing around cardiac arrest and post-arrest care. So these topics are near and dear to my heart and my experience. And upon lecturing and speaking to many hospital uh, representatives around the world, I realized there was a need uh, for more education around post-arrest care and targeted temperature management. And specifically, there was a need for more uh, uh, direct conversation with providers on what are the best practices, what does the evidence suggest, and how do we implement the international guidelines for cardiac arrest and post-arrest care. And, and so in that fashion, this podcast is designed for clinicians, uh, ICU physicians and nurses, emergency medicine physicians and nurses, residents and students, for people who take care of patients after cardiac arrest and want to uh, improve the way they do it. They want to elevate their game. And so hopefully we'll be providing you information through this podcast series that will help you uh, take better care of patients following cardiac arrest and through the use of targeted temperature management. So the topics for these podcasts are directly taken from the questions we get uh, when we field questions from hospitals and, and classes on cardiac arrest and post-arrest care. In this first podcast, we want to cover perhaps one of the most burning questions that is very central to the care of patients after cardiac arrest in ICUs around the world, which is if we are going to use targeted temperature management, what should be the goal temperature? What should be the target temperature for care? And specifically, should we be using 33 degrees Celsius or 36 degrees Celsius as our goal temperature for targeted temperature management? Now, to provide a little context in case this question uh, is unfamiliar to you, for a number of years, hospitals around the world used 33 Celsius as the main goal temperature for targeted temperature management following cardiac arrest. And that was a very straightforward uh, uh, thing because it was in the guidelines. There were strong uh, randomized controlled trials supporting 33 Celsius. But then in the year 2013, things got a little more confusing. A important paper published in the New England Journal of Medicine called the TTM trial uh, by Nicholas Nielsen and colleagues out of uh, Sweden and other locations in Europe this trial looked at two target temperatures, 33 Celsius versus 36 Celsius, as a goal temperature after resuscitation from cardiac arrest and hospital-based TTM care. And the goal of that study was a dose-finding trial. That is to say, they wanted to find out what dose of targeted temperature management provided the best outcomes. And what they found in their work was that outcomes were equivalent at both 33 degrees Celsius and 36 degrees Celsius. So survival was the same, and neurologic outcomes were the same, whether you chose 33 Celsius as a goal temperature or 36 as a goal temperature. And this caused great confusion and 
that confusion continues to this day. Many of you listening may be shaking your heads knowing very well that at your hospitals, there's wide variability in care and there's some confusion as to what should be the right goal temperature. Maybe you're a nurse manager who sits on your code committee and has had arguments about this. Or maybe you're a physician who's trying to better understand what to do best at two in the morning when you're taking care of a post-arrest patient. Well, today we hope to provide some clarity and, and break it down for you, both as far as what we do at the University of Pennsylvania, what others have done, and what the evidence suggests. So first, it's important to say what the international guidelines say we should do. And so, as many of you know, the American Heart Association is uh, one organization that puts out uh, guidelines on cardiac arrest and post-arrest care. It's actually part of a global guidelines process put out by an organization called ILCOR, the International Liaison Committee on Resuscitation. I know that's quite a mouthful. ILCOR is an international group that evaluates the science, the latest, greatest science around cardiac arrest and post-arrest care, and produces guidelines. And the current guidelines in the year 2019 suggest that when you have a patient following cardiac arrest, you can choose a range. You can choose from 32 to 36 degrees as a possible range of therapeutic targets. That isn't to say you're allowed to let the temperature of any given patient wander up and down that scale. That would be bad. Uh, you, you pick a temperature and you stick with it, but you could choose 33, you could choose 35, you could even choose 36. And so that leaves me, you, other clinicians in a real quandary. What do we do? What is the right temperature to choose? Well, this TTM study uh, uh, continues to cause great debate and controversy. What we decided to do at the University of Pennsylvania is stick to 33 as our main goal temperature following cardiac arrest. And the reason why we chose that, I now want to break down for you in a few minutes of, of conversation. There were a number of randomized trials showing that 33 degrees Celsius was, a, was an effective goal temperature. In addition, Numerous laboratory studies have shown that when animals get cooled, uh, they do better following cardiac arrest, and the deeper you cool them, the better they do. And, and this is based on really strong mechanisms. The way cooling works, you can measure in animals. It reduces brain swelling. It reduces inflammation. And so there's good mechanisms for why we might believe deeper temperatures are better. And then, finally, uh, two more points to our, our logic at Penn. Uh, 36 was not better than 33. There were not less side effects in the TTM trial, and there weren't better outcomes. So essentially, it was a null or equivalent study. And we feel, in general, we don't like to change our care based on an equivalent study, uh, especially just one study. And then finally, it's really important to keep in mind that once brain injury following cardiac arrest is set, it's really hard or perhaps impossible to reverse. And the time to affect cardiac rest brain function is in the first few days following arrest. So when you take all of that evidence together, what it told us at the University of Pennsylvania and our targeted temperature management committee was that we would predominantly stick with 33 degrees Celsius. And our, and our protocol that we've baked into our um, EMR and our electronic medical record, uh, we stipulate that patients should be cooled to 33. Now, here's the important catch. We also have in our protocol the opportunity for physicians and healthcare teams to select a higher temperature in specific situations. And so 
in this last year, and I looked at this data in preparation for the podcast, um, over the last year, we've managed about two-thirds of our patients at 33 Celsius and about one-third at 36. So we actually take a blended approach. And the reason why we think this is a good thing is that we're able to think, we're able to use our clinical judgment to pick what we believe is best for a given patient. Uh, since 36 is still within the evidence of the randomized trials and now within the guidelines, we're not doing anything wrong picking 36. So for some patients, we feel it's more appropriate. Now I want to walk you through how we do this. Because many of you, uh, where the rubber hits the road, many of you are struggling with what temperature do I pick for a given patient and how do I choose? Well, certainly for out-of-hospital ventricular fibrillation, ventricular tachycardia patients, we choose 33, almost 100% of the time. Uh, that was what the original randomized trial suggested, and that's uh, a patient population we want to be very aggressive with. Now, there are those specific cases where higher temperatures might theoretically be better. So, for example, we know that lowering core body temperature to 33 can prolong the QT interval. And uh, for those of you who are students listening, uh, the QT interval, of course, is an important part of uh, the heart's electrical system and, and refractory period after a heartbeat, electrical beat of the heart. Uh, prolonging the QT interval is considered a bad thing and increases the risk of cardiac arrest. And so you don't want to prolong the QT interval. Now that can happen when you go to 33, but we have never once seen a problem from it. On the other hand, if someone actually had a cardiac arrest because of long QT syndrome, which is an inborn genetic channelopathy, or they're on medications that prolong the QT interval. And as you may know, there are a number of medicines that can do this. Um, a number of antibiotics can do this. Some antidepressants can do this. So if you have long QT, either from medications or from an inborn error, and you had your cardiac rest because of long QT, although we haven't seen a problem, we feel theoretically that's a, a change in the risk-benefit analysis, and we might manage those people at 36. So that's one category long QT patients. Another theoretical concern with lowering temperature is bleeding. And so if a patient had their arrest from a GI bleed, we generally manage those patients at 36, not 33, because there is good laboratory evidence that when you lower temperature to 33, you can induce a coagulopathy. Blood does not clot as well. Now again, the studies have not shown any change in adverse effects. At Penn, we have not seen significant bleeding. But again, since the two are generally felt to be equivalent, at least there's a risk of bleeding at 33. If someone had a, a GI bleed, say, from an esophageal varix, and they had a PEA cardiac arrest, and we get them back, uh, we generally manage those patients at 36. A related category is anyone with a brain bleed. So perhaps some of you have seen the following situation. A patient has an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, they fell in the act of having an arrest and hit their head. They sustained a subdural hematoma that's picked up on a CAT scan during emergency care when they roll in post-arrest. If someone has a brain bleed, we will manage them at 36 for the same reasons that we would manage a GI bleed that way. That is to say, we do not want to increase the risk of bleeding. So, so far, I've elaborated three patient scenarios where we choose 36. One, long QT syndrome. Two, large GI bleed as a cause of arrest. Three, 
visible brain bleeding on head CT after an out-of-hospital rest. Now, there's a fourth one as well that one wouldn't know right away. Some patients uh, in the ICU when they're cooled to 33 develop fairly profound bradycardia. They can develop heart rates into the 30s or 40s. Now, in most cases, this is not a big deal. In most cases, the hemodynamics are fine. And I would counsel you not to uh, change your care based on heart rate. You know, we, we generally stick to a principle of not changing care based on one number. Um, heart rate matters only in as much as cardiac output matters uh, and perfusion matters. So if the heart rate is low, but the mean arterial pressure is fine, the skin perfusion is okay, the urine output is normal, we don't worry about the bradycardia. So do not worry if a patient's heart rate is 35 post-arrest when you're cooling them to 33. In some cases, when patients become bradycardic following cardiac arrest resuscitation, when you're cooling to 33, the bradycardia is a problem. Um, not very often. We see this in definitely less than 10% of our cooling cases. Um, but let's say a patient's bradycardia is not well tolerated. Uh, their heart rate drops to the low 30s, and then their mean arterial pressure drops. And it's the sense of the team, the care providers at the bedside, that the bradycardia was the problem. Well, in those cases, we don't just jump to 36, but we might, what I say, I use the phrase cheat up. Um, we might go from 33 to 34. A better word, I suppose, would be titrate up. And then we look at the bradycardia and the mean arterial pressure at 34. If they're still not tolerating it well, we might go to 35. Um, and then we still might go to 36. And what we found in the small number of cases where the bradycardia is a problem, going up a degree or two corrects that problem. And we've never seen it persistent. Um, the only few cases we've seen it persistent, it turns out it wasn't the bradycardia. It was another significant hemodynamic uh, alteration like incipient sepsis or some other issue. But the bradycardia itself wasn't the problem, if that makes sense. And then the final reason in the ICU why we might titrate up or go away from 33 would be hyperglycemia. So some patients, especially, of course, diabetics, uh, will have significant hyperglycemia when you go to 33. And that's because there's relative insulin resistance when core body temperature is lowered. So uh, now hyperglycemia is usually managed fairly easily with exogenous insulin, but there are some cases where the hyperglycemia has been so profound that we have gone to 34, 35, or even to 36. So in summary of, of this part of the podcast, the, the way we choose temperature, we generally choose 33, but for cases of one, long QT syndrome, two, GI bleeding, three, brain bleed following arrest, four, bradycardia discovered when patients are cooled to 33 that causes hemodynamic effects, and then I think I'm on five now, five issues with hyperglycemia. Those are the reasons we specifically might choose 36 as opposed to 33. So hopefully that provides you at least one hospital's example of how we do it. And I interface quite often with the post-arrest care leaders and thought uh, leaders around the world, and I'll tell you that this is generally the predominant prevailing idea, that 33 is still most commonly used except for specific situations. And there was a large survey study done of ICUs in Europe about what patient uh, cooling um, activity takes place there, and indeed, most of the ICU physicians in Europe uh, stated that they have selected 
33 as their goal target temperature, not 36. So um, our approach seems to be consistent with that of others. Um, and uh, uh, interestingly, despite that TTM trial, many hospitals continue with 33. Now, I, I don't mean to sound like I'm disparaging the TTM trial. Uh, indeed, it was an important, well-conducted study, and I actually consider the study good news. I, I think it gives us new opportunities. It doesn't say TTM doesn't work. It doesn't say you should switch to 36. What it says is you have the option of managing temperature 36 and being safe and being evidence-based, uh, and, and it allows us to take care of our patients in a more individual fashion. The final point I would make about 33 versus 36, and then we'll call it a day for this podcast, is there's growing evidence just in the last year that hospitals that have switched to 36 degrees wholesale, that is, they looked at the TTM study and they said, we're going to abandon 33 and go to 36. Those hospitals have found that survival has gone down, that the rate of fever post-stress has gone up, and Several of them, uh, in personal communications with me, I found out they've gone back to 33. So they felt the 36 degrees change was bad for their patients, and they've now switched back to a 33 degree protocol. So it's an interesting example of how sometimes a randomized trial can show one thing, but when you apply it in the real world, with all the mess and warts and confusion that we have during clinical care, especially for these very sick patients, uh, sometimes clinical trials are not the whole story. And, and so I wanted to share that with you and uh, uh, share with you what we did. So that concludes this podcast. Uh, I hope you found this helpful. We're going to continue this series. Uh, and the next podcast, we will be talking about brain recovery and how to best assess the brain and decide when the patient will actually wake up following cardiac arrest. So join us again for that podcast. I would also suggest that you can certainly uh, contact me through the Targeted Temperature Management Academy website, uh, and I'd be delighted to answer any of your questions. And if you're finding this podcast not through the Targeted Temperature Management Academy program, I should tell you that this is an ancillary uh, supplemental material to what is a truly exciting uh, venture that we've started at the University of Pennsylvania, which is an online TTM educational boot camp called TTM Academy. So if you're hearing this podcast and don't know about TTM Academy, uh, check us out. Uh, uh, if you Google TTM Academy, you'll be able to find us, or if you visit the Center for Resuscitation Science website at the University of Pennsylvania, you'll also be able to find us. Um, and there you can enroll to take our series of online modules to uh, improve your game for post-arrest care and receive CME and nursing credits for that as well as a certificate of completion that will uh, uh, attest that you are now uh, certified as an expert in TTM care. So do join us and join us again for the next podcast. Thank you. Once again, my name is Dr. Benjamin Abella from the University of Pennsylvania. Thank you for listening. Thank you.